guys. Welcome to the Boom Tequila Podcast with your hosts. I'm Jody And I'm Erin. Join us every Monday for entertainment and relationship-focused topics, music recommendations, and some fun, more personal topics in our Dish Bish segment at the end. Today, we have Melissa Doogie Spires joining us. I am so excited to have her on. We are going to be talking about her upcoming memoir, Legal Brothels, Non-Monogamy, Purity Culture, and Sexual Empowerment. Melissa is an award-winning memoirist, screenwriter, and essayist based in Silicon Valley, California. Her upcoming memoir, The Glory Hole, that's W-H-O-L-E, won a 2021 book pipeline unpublished manuscript competition, and her first feature screenplay, Brave Woman, garnered awards and placements in Sundance and several other renowned film festivals. Melissa also writes for magazines and blogs with work appearing in everything from the Huffington Post to Forbes to Wall Street Journal to Bitch Magazine and more. Now, whenever we have a guest on the show, we always mention how we met or how we know each other. So I first connected with Melissa a few years ago when I was working on another podcast project that was centered around various deconstruction topics and social issues. Melissa grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and she has a really strong voice on social media in these areas, which we're going to link all of her stuff in the show notes. Also, if you want to find her, you definitely should. She talks about purity culture, religious trauma, deconstruction, feminism, sexual empowerment, and she also works in some fashion updates. So if you love vintage, you definitely need to check her out. (laughs) Anything you want to add to that, Melissa, before we start? Oh my gosh. Uh, Listening to the list of it is, I'm (laughs) a little overwhelmed. Thank you. (laughs) It's impressive. All right. We'll start with some of our questions. Jody, do you want to go with the first one? Let's start with your memoir. So your upcoming memoir is called The Glory Hole. Can you talk about how you came up with the name and what the memoir is about? Sure. Yeah. So the name is a play on words for people who don't know what a glory hole is. I don't know how graphic we can get on here. So I'll, I'll tell people to go, oh, we can get gra- graphic. Yes, as okay, graphic so as a, you want to get. <laughs> okay. So a glory hole, H-O-L-E, is a, just a hole cut in the side of usually like a bathroom stall or something, men's bathroom stall, where they just extend their member through and someone serves them on the other side of it. So I thought my memoir is is titled Glory Hole, W-H-O-L-E. So I loved the play on words, obviously. But also I likened it to believing in Christianity. You know, you extend this very vulnerable, very fragile part of yourself, one of the most precious parts of yourself, your, your soul, right, into this unknown void where someone, something could take you to heaven, basically, or could disfigure you forever and really make it the most awful experience you've ever had. So I thought it was really fitting. (laughs) So the memoir is about, I'm a fourth generation on both sides of the family, a Seventh-day Adventist, which for people who don't know, it's an extremely conservative, hardline, um, fundamentalist, believe every word of the Bible, uh, Christian denomination. They go to church on Saturdays. They follow some of the Judaic principles of like sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. You do nothing but worship God. So I was raised in that. And the Adventist people don't usually hear much about them, which is part of why I feel so compelled to write this book. They are huge. They are the eighth richest church in the world. And they have about 22, somewhere between 22 and 27 million members right now. 
uh, worldwide, which is actually bigger than the Mormons. It's bigger than the Baptists, but nobody's ever heard of them because they're super secretive and they maintain their own like little insular societies, like all their own schools. They have their own foods. They have their own um, media companies. They have their own everything. You can go cradle to death and never touch the outside world. And that's the way they like it. So I was raised in that and I just busted out at 18. As soon as I got out of the Adventist high school, I was like, I'm fucking out of here. And thought I was done, thought I'd healed. Didn't know anything about deconstruction then, right? That was 30 something years ago. And so I thought, okay, on with my life. And I went gambling through life. You know, I went to public high or college and, or a private college, but you know, not Adventist and um, did drugs and had sex and just like wore jewelry, which was a sin in the Adventist system and, you know, just everything. So I thought being out equaled healing. And then when in my like mid thirties, it kind of all came crashing down. I found out that several people actually in my family, but one that I was particularly close to had been a child molester in his position in the church. And that not only had he just, that, that just blew my mind, but he had done it in repeat. They just moved him. They didn't discipline anything. They just moved him, hushed it all up, blamed the girl and moved him to a new church where I did it again. And the other story in my family was sort of similar. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Nobody in the church wanted to talk about it. My family didn't want to talk about it. So I took it upon myself to find one of the girls who were now adults, obviously, by that point, and befriended her. It was a really intense, obviously, friendship and experience, and I wasn't ready to deal with it then in my mid-30s. I revisited it about five, eight years ago and started up a conversation with her again. And it just, it started my real deconstruction process, even though I'd left the church ages before. And so a kind of a massive meltdown on all fronts personally. And so that's what the book is about. It's kind of a long-winded thing. (laughs) You may need to edit it, but how meeting her and finding out about that whole thing kind of kicked off the process, but it was, it was huge and long and convoluted and it's, it's difficult. It's just difficult. That's awesome though. I love that. And I love that you're writing about it and which kind of transitions us a little bit into our next topic on purity culture. So Melissa grew up obviously Seventh-day Adventist with some really heavy purity culture. One thing that I think is interesting about purity culture is that while I think it's rooted in religion, it's also something that has really penetrated, no pun intended, <laughs> mainstream culture. I remember yes. like the Jonas Brothers uh, touting purity rings on the Disney Channel when we were growing up. And I think, yeah. you know, Jody and I were both impacted by purity culture, even though I grew up in very like religious spaces and she didn't. It just shows like how massive it really is, though, because when I was growing up, we went to church every Sunday, but we just kind of fizzled out. But it still had an effect on me as I got older. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really, and of course now, I mean, with the hard right wing, you know, push for mix of church and state and stuff, it's just getting worse and worse all the time. It's it's terrifying. Oh, for sure. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. What do you think have been some of the hardest parts of purity culture to overcome? You know, Adventists had their own version of purity culture. And of course, when I was in it, it was kind of before that whole Josh, whatever his name is in his book and the rings and all of that stuff. And Adventists wouldn't have done that anyway, because they don't believe in jewelry. So, um, you know, we had our own like, dude who wrote purity manuals and actually threatened the cure for female masturbation was circumcision. So there was that little threat. And so it was really hardcore. And we had classes where, you know, we were given charts of like, if you start dating a boy, you know, first of all, it's all your responsibility to keep it pure. But, you know, there were like month by month layout of how the physical progress could end. So you better be married in two years because 
Otherwise he's just going to have blue balls and it's going to be all your fault. And, you know, it's just going to, so that was the, uh, the, you know, the, the stuff to overcome. And so I think I went about it probably different than, than a lot of people did where I just, they had built sex up to be so huge and so other, you know, it wasn't even part of us anymore or, or a humanity really. It was this thing that came with so much everything baggage and pressure and shame and whatever so I was just like fuck it I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do every single thing about it you know and so I just went whole hog as soon as I you know got out of the Adventist system so I think the hardest part of it for me is actually having to reel that back in like I had so distanced myself from sex as human or sex as love. It was just this thing to do. So reeling that back in and actually associating sex with love has been an incredibly hard process for me. It kind of makes sense though, like that you would almost have to disconnect from it Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. I always think that's interesting. For myself, as I've deconstructed, I've realized that there are some more subtle ways that purity culture has impacted me. For instance, purity (laughs) culture teaches women that we should be very agreeable to men in particular. So like I've always been able to communicate really clearly with women and have healthy relationships with women. But when I was younger, especially... I really just wanted, I felt like I needed to be agreeable and I really wasn't able to be myself or be assertive around men. Fortunately, I'm not in that space at all anymore, though I do occasionally have times I feel like if I really like a guy where I almost like creep back into that and feel like shy or uncomfortable or don't know what to say. I'm much more self-aware now, so I can usually manage it. But Mm -hmm. do you notice any kind of seemingly random things like that affecting you since your you know, leaving purity culture and deconstructing. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of the same stuff that you do where, you know, it was all about please being pleasing to basically everyone, pleasing and agreeable, but particularly to men, you know, the whole smile, honey, you know, and you just would smile automatically because you were told to. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I have a very hard time just being assertive with men in general. And, and I always assume they're right. No, they're not right. They are, they're not any more right than I am. But um, that kind of just assuming that they're the leader, I always have to catch myself and remind myself. I don't know how many times I'm like, well, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, they (laughs) like, why don't you do this with a female friend? Like, (laughs) right, exactly. Yeah, it's a huge unlearning process. And uh, yeah, it's uh, (laughs) unlimited. So what's one thing that helped you explore your sexuality and be more self-aware? Well, we were, we were joking about this before we started of like, you know, obviously alcohol, (laughs) but, um, but in all seriousness, I do think that ability to separate my emotions from sex probably helped in the beginning, but that was definitely a double-edged sword. I think not it sounds terrible, but not knowing people terribly well, sometimes just having sex for the experience of having sex instead of looking for a partner, once I could separate that, then it became so much easier because there was not that huge weight on it. It was just, oh, let's explore explore this piece. Not like, is this going to be my soulmate? So that helped a lot. Speaking of soulmates, that is also a good segue into our next question. What... (laughs) Are your thoughts on marriage after leaving the church? 
Ooh, I have lots of them. Um, so I have been married twice and in a couple of other, you know, long-term relationships. And I feel like both times I was married and I was, I was out of the church by the time I, I had both marriages, but I still fell prey to that church mindset that I needed that marriage, that structure. Um, and, and society pushes that on us too, obviously. Particularly the second time I got married, I really, really, really wanted to have children. And, you know, and I was dating this wonderful, fun guy and, you know, it just seemed logical, but I don't think either of us really should have taken that step, but we did because it was the right thing to do, you know? So I very firmly am against marriage at this point. I don't see any reason to do it other than the legal, like, you know, benefits. And I think it always hurts women. I've seen very few marriages where I think, wow, she, you know, really grew. And, 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 you know, obviously some women benefit financially or whatever, but I mean, like really to like become a bigger, better grown person. I don't see that. No, I completely agree. Like I'm on the same page with you there. And I think it's so interesting how many women that I know that like once you start deconstructing, it's like there's so much that like wraps around it. It's like, okay, well, it might start with religion or something like that. But then it's like, then you deconstruct like marriage and monogamy and like, well, it's like just this whole. Like, totally. It is. It's just a slide into freedom. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So threesomes, brothels, and the Huffington Post. <laughs> so you wrote a very popular article for the Huffington Post about visiting a legal brothel with a partner. Can you talk about that experience for us? I can. Yeah. Um, the success of that article really kind of took me off guard. I, I did not expect the Huffington Post to put it on the front page of Facebook and things. I had people that I hadn't seen for 40 years texting me and going, I just saw you. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, um, and the editor, I just loved him. He was so wonderful. And he was like, I love this article so much. I'm going to commission a special piece of art for it. But then he also asked for pictures of us. And I was like, okay, cool. But I thought the art that was specially commissioned was going to be the lead piece. No, it was like our faces. So that was interesting. So yeah, it had always, always been a dream of mine. Like I wrote in the article, but it just seemed if you did it in a personal space, just way too many entanglements that could happen and too many feelings could get hurt and jealousies and all that stuff. And so I had just written it off like, okay, that's just a fantasy and it's, it'll never happen. And then when I met Rod, he's very well acquainted with brothels. And so we were like, well, cool. That's what we're going to do to celebrate our birthdays from now on out. So we did it several times and I would absolutely recommend it to anyone. It was a wonderful experience. All the brothels are different and all the rules are different and it's super expensive, but it was incredibly freeing and just fun and super interesting. You know, you, it's, it's a cliche, but you do end up sitting and talking to your sex worker and, and they are fascinating people, as you might imagine. And so when I, I wrote the article, I was expecting, first of all, not such a wide readership. I think it's had like 2 million readers now or something, just like, oh my gosh. But I was expecting, you know, people to be, first of all, just like, oh my God, nobody wants to hear about your sex life. Shut up. You know, or the pearl clutchers, like, oh, you know, and fainting. And there were some of those for sure. But I was really shocked. And, and this comes back to how purity culture just pervades everything in society. And I was really taken off guard because there were like thousands of commenters about how many people and how many of them were women thought that, first of all, it hadn't been my choice, that I had done it to please the man because nobody could imagine that that would be something I wanted. Then there were people, and I was just 
I didn't even know what to respond. People who argued with me that it couldn't have been my choice because if it, if it had been my choice, I would have chosen two men. And I was like, but that's not my fantasy. And it was my choice. So you know, like, I mean, what do you say? But it was just, it was super interesting how deeply embedded in society. And most of these people who were commenting and arguing were not religious as far as I know. They just couldn't imagine that this would be driven by a female. I think that speaks to how interwoven religious, you know, concepts and the patriarchy, uh, which arguably are one and the same, you know, (laughs) are so woven into secular or like the larger culture, you know, like we talk about it like religious, but those things are so mainstream that it's, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I would highly recommend it. So you talked a little bit about the backlash. Anything else you want to say about the backlash or how you've handled that backlash? Uh, it was overwhelming. And I did try to respond to as many people as possible. I learned that you just can't argue with, you know, so I, I gave up on that. And then there were a lot of people who, you know, certainly friends that were like, what about your children? I might not have published it if I had young children, possibly, you know, today's teenagers, I mean, I don't know who's living under a rock and thinks that they're ignorant of things, but they're not. And um, I've always had a very close and open relationship with my kids. I mean, I didn't put any details, you know, pornographic details into that article. Anyway, it was pretty, you know, top level. And so there was nothing that I figured. And I told them about it beforehand. And I mean, you know, newsflash to people like kids just don't want to hear their parents talk about sex, period. Like, and the subject is- yeah. Kids don't, they're like if older kids again, because I have yeah. a teenager and I mean, I probably wouldn't yeah. put out some of the content I put out if I had like younger kids still in the house. But yeah, yeah the teenagers don't want anything to do with it. They're exactly. They're, I think- <laughs> you, it, it's not, there's no level of degree that's going to be okay with them and not, not okay with them. They're just like, shut up. They're yeah, not trying not. to watch, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I will link the article because I read it when it came out and it is a really great article. So I'll make sure to link that for anyone who wants oh, to yeah. read it. It's a good read. It was it was fun and it was it was fun to see it show up in a couple lists at the end of the year of like favorite personal essays and stuff from Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun top, to see. Uh, And and I have to say good backlash from it was that a couple, I I did make a few, which really, really touched me deeply. A few um, sex workers wrote to me and said, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for humanizing us, not, not, you know, trying to save us or paint us this way or that just like, thank you. That's the first realistic and and inspiring thing. And that meant so much. And, and, you know, a couple of them I'm friends with now, you know, that I was touched. That was a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to have done. I love that so much. Yeah. (laughs) So would you visit a brothel again? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. My bank account won't allow me to right now. Okay, so um, I know you have talked in, on other things about being non-monogamous. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit and where you currently fall? Yeah, I have pretty much all of my life been a serial monogamous, uh, a serial monogamist. You no, know, I, I have never um, ha- run multiple relationships at the same time. I don't have the emotional bandwidth for that. Um, certainly when in my young and playing days, I could have sexual relationships with a bunch of different people, but, um, 
But as far as like emotional relationships, I've kind of gone from one to the next to the next, sometimes overlapping them a little, um, but uh, generally. And right now, is I have to say the first time in my entire adult life that I am absolutely single, just celibate, basically not by choice, but just because my last relationship ended and that's a good thing. And it's a really interesting space to be in at this age and just be so okay with it. And if I find a new partner, fine. And if I don't, fine. And I think for women, sex is always there if we want to go get it. (laughs) So I'm not worried about that necessarily. It's strange. I've never been, you know, and again, going back to that purity culture thing, you know, when you're, when I've been with a man all my life, I've been in some form of servitude all my life as well. And I I am serving just me and it is the (laughs) most beautiful thing. (laughs) That's awesome. No, it's definitely a good place to be when you don't, although it makes it hard to be motivated to put in the effort today, because once you're like not organically meeting people, you either have to be on apps or you have to, and that's the part I find the hardest because I'm also like, I'm good. Like I'm, I would love to be in a relationship or have like deeper connections, but I just, it's. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've only ever met people through work or for, like you said, organic connections. mm -hmm. And so the idea of like going on dates or trying to go on dates right now, just, I just, I would rather scrub my kitchen grout, you know, but, um, uh, we'll see. Maybe that'll change. So if you met someone, would you want that relation to be monogamous or open? I would go long and hard before I made it monogamous. I would want it to be open for a long time, I think. And uh, certainly no marriage in the future, but. Um, <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think if I met someone, it, I would love it just to just to be casual. Yeah. Yeah, for well, sure. That makes sense. So I love that you are so bold and open in speaking about sex and sexual health and your experiences. And I heard you say on another podcast recently that one of the reasons you speak openly about these things is sort of in an effort to normalize these types of conversations. And I completely agree. I think it's so needed. And personally, I find you to be very inspiring. And I think you just have such a valuable voice to bring to these conversations. I think you're needed in all of these spaces. Oh, yeah. Um, So that's going to segue us into our next question, Jody. if you want (laughs) to. Yeah. So what advice would you give when it comes to female pleasure and communicating about what you want? I think this is something that we hear from a lot of women to be somewhat of a struggle. Yeah, Uh, it is a struggle. Um, I think obviously there's a two pronged approach there. Obviously you want to kind of start the communication before you end up in bed with people, you know, so there's a lot of joking, teasing kind of probing that you can do. I think that where you, where you can kind of get a feel for where their head's at in terms of how they're going to treat you. But I think also once you're in bed, you know, I think my very first sexual experience I didn't realize I was supposed to do anything. You know, I just thought women just kind of, you know, again, because of that purity culture stuff, like we were just supposed to like lay there and, um, and just be and receive. And 
And I think a lot of us still keep that sort of in the back of our heads. And I think absolutely kind of leading without having to say like, you know what I like, you know, because always the gossip column advice is like, just tell them like, I love it when you do that. And it's just like, oh my God, that would just kill the mood as far as I can tell, you know? So I think leading with the sound gesture, pressure, whatever I mean, unless they're an idiot, and then in that case, get out of the bed. <laughs> and then certainly if they ask, tell them, you know, if they if they are open in any way verbally, they're wanting to know. They're not asking because, you know, I've had friends, people who talk to me about it and be like, well, I was just worried I'd hurt his feelings. And it's like, no, he asked you because he really is interested in making you happy. You know, I mean, so I think a combination of all of that um, I don't know if I have any other pearls of wisdom on that. Um, and then just being open to try perhaps what you hadn't thought of yet either, you know, in terms of what he might be suggesting or non-verbally suggesting because you just never know. Yeah, no, I think all of that is great. And one thing, another thing that I believe I've heard you say is that sex in each decade of your life has been great. And as you've gotten older, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. And again, I don't know, you know, there's that thing where is it our purity culture or is it an, someone's average experience? But I can obviously only talk from mine. But um, so in my 20s was just that rebellion against the purity culture. So it was, you know, all kinds of wild sex. Uh, so it was just everything wild. I was just trying everything, you know, nothing could be too outrageous bondage or whatever. And so that was fun and it made me feel powerful and it made me feel liberated, but satisfied rarely, you know? And so then in my thirties, I got to experience, you know, kinder, gentler marital sex and, and slowing down and going into the whole monogamous experience. And that was great for me because I, I was trying to connect the love sex thing. I'm not sure I ever got there, but you know, so that, and so that was very enriching and very, um, and then in my forties, again, I went just completely baking wild and with Rod, you know, and obviously we went all around and did all these nutty things. That was great. You're finally comfortable with your body. You're comfortable with who you're with. You're not, you don't care what other people think. So it just gets better, you know, it just, and now I'm in my fifties and, you know, I'm on hiatus right now, but it's, you're just so comfortable. You, you know, your body and you just don't, you just don't give a rat's ass. You know, you just don't. <laughs> I that love part, that so I think much. makes a huge difference. Like once you can start to not really care what people like about all the opinions and yeah embrace some more self-awareness and confidence. Yeah. And even just the fact that you're finally comfortable saying, no, I really don't feel like it tonight. You know, if that's what really makes you happy that night, that's so wonderful. And that Absolutely. makes it more wonderful the next night when you really do want it instead of just like doing it because, well, you should. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. So, sorry. So I'm when it to, comes, what's that? Sorry. Trying to keep my cat from shaking oh, the computer. Yeah. I just like, there's this like, earthquake okay go ahead <laughs> I'm I'm trying not to cough the whole time so I'm just getting <laughs> over the flu I'm sorry so when it comes to talking about sex where do you draw the line between how much is too much to say publicly versus not and are there things you intentionally keep private or do you think being completely open about all details is better you know as far as personally I try to be as open as I possibly can particularly you know 
when people ping me privately or whatever, you know, just in one-on-one conversations, I try to hold nothing back as long as people want to hear it. And even publicly, I don't really, as you know, hold much back. Um, I don't know that I've ever consciously censored something about myself. The only place I'm protective is about other people, you know, like I wouldn't, you know, my, my children's father, I'm not going to talk about that because, you know, that, that would be bad for him, them. It's just a no, you know, um, and, uh, you know, if I had something critical to say about someone, I would either make it so generic that no one would ever be able to tell who it was, or I just wouldn't say it, you know? So, um, so it, it's basically just to protect other people who have had the misfortune of being in my sex life <laughs> or in my life in general, like my children, um, you know, uh, to not um, drag them through something that they didn't ask for. But as far as me, you know, you kind of sign up for it when you're a memoirist. And in I sort of have always taken the path in life where if you can get ahead of it, nobody can say shit about you. Um, so I'm always uh, almost obnoxiously, probably a little too forthcoming with anything because I just, I figure better for me to say it than for someone else to put their spin on it. I love that. What is one piece of advice that you would give someone when it comes to sex? Just one piece of advice. It can be a couple of things if there's a few things that come to mind. Yeah. It sounds so absolutely trite, but it really is true. You know, never say never. I just, um, if it's not right with one person, it might be another person. And if you think you're, there's not ever going to be another person, never say never. Don't box yourself in. I have a friend that I met through the deconstruction community who's, I think, in her 40s now. And just through her deconstruction process, she's been married forever. She realized she's lesbian. You know, I mean, I'm sure for 35 years, at least she told herself never, you know, (laughs) and then um, going beyond your comfort zone is really enriching and super to be pursued, particularly it's in everything in life. Right. But it's actually particularly, but make sure there's a level of trust there. And that doesn't mean commitment, but trust when I was, cause I'd never done any drugs in high school, obviously, because everybody else had all done theirs in high school and were done by college pretty much. But I was like, ah, I want to do drugs. And, um, so I, but I made sure that I always only did them in with people I trusted because, you know, you just, you just don't want to. And, um, I think with sex, that's even as important or more important and, and don't just don't confuse trust with commitment. Don't confuse sex with commitment. That's true too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I definitely think that's true. I think that that whole like stepping outside your comfort zone, like you're not ever going to grow in anything in life if you don't step right. outside of your comfort zone. And I think that's no exception. It reminded me when you were saying they like try everything or whatever. There's, I don't know if you ever watched Sex in the City. Oh, Yes. <laughs> There was this line, Samantha, that Samantha said on like an episode where she was like, I'm a trisexual. I'll try anything. (laughs) But that's like all I could hear when you were saying that. That's perfect. (laughs) Everyone has always told me I'm Samantha. And I always thought, (laughs) 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 that's funny. (laughs) All right. So that's the end of our kind of main topical questions. And now we're going to go to our music section. This is Joe Jam. 
And what we do here is we share music that we're currently listening to or new music that's out. So if you have something, feel free to share with us. I'll let, do you want me to let Jody go first? Yeah, please. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not, mine's not new. I'm taking it back a little bit. I've been listening to a lot of Fleetwood Mac lately and my jam right now is Silver Springs. okay then I'll let you go next okay so mine this one is a new song and it is called two tens by Corday featuring Anderson Pack oh wow look at you (laughs) so I'm gonna embarrass myself with my age here and say that I'm feeling really hip lately because I have been getting into Megan Trainer, and I loved that some of the new stuff that uh, Taylor Swift came out with and I had never listened to either of them and then I heard a couple of songs on the radio and I'd be asking my kids who, who is this and they're like you always <laughs> ask that and I'm like well I like it <laughs> mm, but so there's my I right. love that all right and now it's time for our final segment where we do some fun, spicier, personal questions. Oh, yes. Which means it's time to dish fish. <laughs> dish fish. I love this. Our first question is, what are some of the most common mean comments that you get online? Oh, wow. I like those. Yeah, exactly. Um, I get on a weekly basis, hundreds of uh comments on my looks people suck people are just it's and it's so interesting i'll be talking about the most horrific like child abuse in the church stuff and i'll get comments like you know your eyebrows are horrible or whatever and it's just like (laughs) oh my gosh one of my favorite ones because you know i do i always dress in vintage some lady was like your clothes are old and out of date and i was like I don't think you understand what vintage is, right? <laughs> but you know, so it's just people are constantly tearing down your looks, which I guess just comes with the territory. And then there are, of course, the Christians, the like hardcore Christians who just come after you of like, you know, you're going to hell or read your Bible. And you're not even talking about the Bible, you're talking about, you know, something else, a church administrator, and they're like, read your Bible. It's like <laughs> you're like, Yeah, that's why I'm okay. here. That's why <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <Good. laughs> Exactly. What about you guys? (laughs) Well, one, I have a probably a few. One for sure on mine because I post a lot of like intersectional feminism and communication types of stuff on my personal like TikTok. And so one for sure is the alpha males who disagree with anything, even remotely feminist that I say, or oddly, uh, my communication videos sometimes. Like I had one where, and it was just talking about how emotional vulnerability is necessary for connecting with people. And there was this like bigger alpha creator dude who just left, like spent his whole day commenting about how vulnerability is weakness. But to be honest, he looked really dumb. So it didn't bother me that much. And, and you were just flying up in the algorithm. With right. All comments, and so. <laughs> another one I've gotten a few times are comments like, like saying that I'm stupid or that I sound stupid. I'll get a lot of like, oh, so pretty, so stupid. And it's funny because I'm not really insecure about my intelligence. So when I read those, I'm just like, so you think I'm pretty? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I was going to say, take the compliment and just. (laughs) Right. And then the other one is that um, I've had some, I've had people, and it's not a ton, uh, say that I have an annoying voice. And to that, I just say, well, I also have a podcast. So there's more where that came from. There you (laughs) (laughs) go. But yeah, I feel like I've been lucky to not have a ton that are like cutting too deep and hurting my feelings. What about you, Jody? So I feel like 
I'm really sensitive. And when we get mean comments, Aaron deletes them right away. So I don't see them. Oh. I don't post a lot. So, sweet. so like, the, I'm, I know I need to get over that. That's why I don't post. Cause I'm like, I can't, I can't handle someone being mean. It's, I, it's horrifying. Yeah. I know. One person said that I looked like I'm a Morgan Wallen fan and that's my entire personality. And I don't know what that means, but that kind of hurt my feelings. Like I do like Morgan Wallen. Like what's, what's wrong with that? <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, I, I do. There's not, just, you know, there's not like just... a ton that I have to delete. We did have like some guys going back and forth on like one of our videos on, I think it was on YouTube randomly, which we know, our YouTube doesn't get a lot of action. So I was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they were like going back and forth between like which one was hotter. And then they started like <sighs> ranking us. And I was like, okay, I'm going to delete. This. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, no, no, exactly. I can't like, handle that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, thanks for playing, but no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm too sensitive. It's like, mm. no, nobody wins here. So no. yeah. yeah. Well, and, and how dare they? How dare they? So as if you guys are waiting for them to decide. About. Yeah. No, you're so right though. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. They just want to be like your yeah. Yeah. eyebrows or your whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's always something. Yeah. Always something. Okay. <laughs> Our next question. This is a fun one. Did you and do you still? fake orgasms. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes, of course. As a young, I I thought that was my duty, you know, to just make them always feel happy no matter what. Oh, they were so great and so wonderful. That I think stopped, certainly stopped by my second marriage, you know, and that was, I learned that, no, you just don't do that. And what would be the point, you know? And so, and that was a big step up in terms of like, like we were talking about, like every decade gets better. Like that was a big move to realize like, I don't have to do that. So that was um, a wonderful realization and so no never again (laughs) I was just saying that recently I'm like we don't fake them anymore this is 2023 Mm -hmm. no nope not anymore I did used to like years ago not anymore not for a long time actually yeah I think that's true of a lot of women once we get to our 30s is and I think that's why a lot of men are like I only date women in their late teens and early 20s the ones that are still (laughs) faking their orgasms for me <laughs> because it's true like we think our role in our like late sense. 20s is to convince the man he's good and make it pleasurable for him we don't there is right I think yeah. a lot of women aren't even necessarily expecting to get pleasure out of it and then as you get older and you get really sick of that you're like okay this isn't really working for me so yeah I definitely used to and no I don't anymore yeah yep the benefits of age you live and learn exactly all right does size really matter Ooh, i have a i absolutely not no it doesn't i don't think so at all i mean obviously if there was like a freakish and i I shouldn't even say that because that makes it sound terrible but you know like i suppose something way beyond the pale on one end or the other would be shocking if not a little bit of a deal breaker i suppose but i think not in general no what do you guys think? I, Jody, go ahead. I think, I think too big would scare me and too little would probably scare me too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like on the, 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 the very the extreme micro. ends. Yeah. Would yeah be. The extreme ends. Yeah. But like, if you're staying in that average area, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I would say I would, I would just repeat basically what you guys said that. Yeah. Honestly, no, I don't think it matters. Um, yeah. Unless it is like extremely yeah one or the well, other you know, no like men are so obsessed so obsessed with having a big dick and it's like yeah. you know what if it's too big 
there are things you're going to miss out on because it's too painful or too awkward or too hard to do. Yeah. So, you know, um, That's true. it, I think there, again, it's men being, thinking with the wrong head. And I feel like I'd rather it be too small than too big. Cause at yeah. least I'm not going to be injured. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I also think if, if guys like perceive themselves as being like extremely well endowed, I also feel like those are the types of guys that feel like they don't have to put any effort in because they're just like, my huge back. (laughs) Exactly. I, I know I have a married friend who's been married to a guy 30, 25 years or so who she says, yeah, he thinks that's his contribution and that's it. And I was like, what? (laughs) No. Um, but it's true. I think, uh, I mean, in my experience, that has certainly been, they really do think that they've shown up with the golden goose, so to speak, and that you should just you bow down and uh, <laughs> that it's all gravy and they don't have to do any work. And it's like, eh, yeah, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. What is the riskiest place you've ever done the deed? Right as you take a drink. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I have ginger ale in my nose. Um, so that that is um, funny. It took me a while to, to decide, but I have to say in a truck going super fast down I-80 next to a huge tour bus full of Vietnamese tourists. What was the runner up? <laughs> You are wild. Oh my goodness. Was he driving? <laughs> he was. <laughs> um, the other one, what, the runner up was another driving one for some silly reason was driving and he had his driver's window down and we're going, we're flying. And I hear another man's voice in the window and I'm like, and so, of course, my head pops up and it's a motorcycle fucking cop saying you guys shouldn't because we were pulling a trailer, a horse trailer, and we were in the, the far left lane and you're not supposed to pull a trailer in the far left lane. Yeah. The cop and I looked at each other and like all of us <laughs> looked at each other and the cop just kept going. <laughs> yeah, I'm not dealing with this. Amazing. <laughs> awesome. yeah. But I mean, the, the, just that moment of hearing a dude's voice and knowing we were going like 70 miles an hour. And I was just like, it was the freakiest. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. Oh, that's great. Jody. Nowhere really fun in the back of a car at a campground and like a bunch of people driving golf carts around us, they caught us. But like, that was really it. Like nothing really, I don't have really any fun ones. <laughs> I don't know. Aaron, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> a movie theater. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! <laughs> All right. Mm. What are your thoughts on toys during sex? Need take them or leave them? Not for me. I definitely say take them or leave them. Sometimes fun, sometimes not. Certainly don't need them, but definitely can be fun. Yeah, same. I don't think you need them, but they're fun. I like having yeah. them. Yeah. 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 I would agree. I think sometimes it's good to not have them, but I think that being open to trying different things and using toys is also good. (laughs) I agree. So yeah, yeah. that's all of our questions. I feel like it flew by. Well, thank you. No, it did. Anything you want to add? I was prepared with my drink recipe. 
Oh, oh, you know what? We cut that. We, when we first started, you can give a drink recipe. Go for it. I still do occasionally. I, I was, so go ahead. Super boring, but I, yeah, I was like, no. oh my God, a drink recipe. I don't drink mixed drinks, but I'm a sucker for a mimosa made with um, pink grapefruit juice. Oh, love it. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> well, this was so fun. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. I will include all of Melissa's links in our show notes. Please give us a like, subscribe, leave a review if you're listening and uh, a nice comment if you're watching on YouTube. Connect with us on social media at Boom Tequila Podcast and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.